We're in the book of Mark. We are in the 18th week of the book of Mark. We are walking with Jesus through this book down the dirt roads in the book of Mark. Today, we're simply going to speak on the subject of a call to action. A call to action for we only truly believe that which brings us to action. We only truly believe that, what, that, that which causes us to do something about what we believe. And so that's today. Mark chapter 6 is where we'll be. If you want to open your Bibles there, please do if you have your Bibles. If not, please open your phone if you have that Bible app on your phone. Or we'll have the scriptures here in just a little bit. But the 12 disciples to this point have experienced quite a bit with Jesus. Uh, just a, a short amount of time. They've shared wonderful victories with him. They've witnessed hatred and blatant unbelief. And we spoke about that last week. If you remember last week, he goes back to Nazareth. And there's blatant, in-your-face unbelief from his hometown, from his people. And they were with him. They were in his presence. When he would heal, they were there. They were able to view and watch. When he saved people's lives spiritually, they were able to see that. When he would heal a, a foot that couldn't walk, they would be able to see that. When a blind person would receive their sight, they were, they were there. They were in his presence and they were observing. But Jesus' call to, this tw to his 12 disciples was not simply a call to stay in his presence but that he might send them out for widespread evangelism. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, Mark says that he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Okay, you see that? He called 12 to be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. What we're going to see today was Jesus' plan all along. The spreading of the good news of the gospel is the exact reason why he came. And we're going to find that it would not be an easy task. It was time for his disciples to go from sitting at Jesus' feet to being sent to reach the masses. It was time for his disciples to go from, as we spoke about at Christmas to go from come and see to go and tell. And every single one of us has to come to that. If those of us that are believers, we have to come to that transitional phase of come and see will turn into go and tell. Now, just to, to give reference to this, I am not in any way saying that when we are sent out that we should sever the sitting with Jesus, we should sever being in his presence. In fact, you're going to see in the sermon today it's actually the exact opposite. So don't get that, like, oh, okay, I've been with Jesus long enough. It's time for me to get away from him, you know. That's not what we're advocating today, obviously. But let's dive into our text in Mark chapter 6. And we'll begin in verse 7. The Bible says this, And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except the staff. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Verse 10. 
And he said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many, I'm sorry, and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Heavenly Father, speak through your word this morning. May it not return void. May it transform our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to jump right in to our outline this morning. I want us to see, first of all, in this text, the strategy of the mission. The strategy of the mission. In verse 7, he called the 12 to himself. He began to send them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits, commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, wear sandals. I'm assuming if it was modern day, he would have said wear Crocs. That's just, I'll just put my, but wear Crocs and not put on two tunics, okay? Some of my manly men in here can, can relate to the Croc wearing, and I appreciate all my manly men who agree with me. I thought about wearing them today, but I didn't. I have preached in Crocs one time, and Hannah documented it. She got a photo of it. So uh, anyway. But Jesus was the ultimate leader. In fact, you can find no greater leadership lesson than you can find watching, following, reading, obeying the life of Jesus. Uh, there are many leadership gurus, and in fact, I follow many of them, and I consume their content, and I... I appreciate all that uh, the leadership gurus have to say, but I find no better leader than Jesus. And so Jesus, as an incredible leader, did not just randomly release his disciples into the world. He didn't just come up with this idea and send them on their way. There was a plan. There was a strategy. And here was the strategy. He sent them out in teams. Did you see it in the text? He sent them out two by two. Twelve disciples, instead of sending... 12 individuals out he sent six teams of two and jesus knew that, that this mission was not best done alone in fact i would say that life in general is not best done alone it is best done with people there will be mutual benefit for each of these 12 uh, disciples by having another person along for the journey I tell church planters I'm able now that we've been in existence a little while, I'll oftentimes get a phone call uh, from a, a, a person that's like, hey, I believe God is leading me to plant a church. And let's have, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And I always, in that conversation, I will always bring up, listen, if you can somehow have a team that's helping you as you launch, please do so. If you could possibly have a team, and I don't just say that because I think it's easier on them emotionally, even though I believe it is easier on them emotionally. I don't just say you should get a team together because it will be easier on your family because even though I do believe it will be easier on the pastor's family, I don't just say that. I say that because I really feel like that is the model that Jesus displayed in sending out his disciples. It's also the model that was seen uh, as, as people were to go out and, and present the gospel in other parts of the New Testament. It is the model two by two in a team. And certainly God can work, and he has done work, some incredible work in people that have gone out as the Lone Ranger. 
And certainly God has done some incredible things over the years in missionaries and church planters' lives that have just picked themselves and their family up and gone. And I understand that. I'm not trying to limit that. I'm just saying that I believe a good uh, strategy here for sure uh, was to send people uh, two by two. A two by two. Certainly God can bless anything. But Jesus' strategy was the 12 divided into six teams of two. And I, I don't know if Jesus did this. I'm assuming that he did. But it would be, you know, I was thinking maybe he would put someone with a certain personality with someone with a different kind of personality. Someone who was really good at some things but really bad at other things. He would send someone that had maybe the opposite weakness and the opposite strong point. I don't know that per se, but I'm assuming that's also a, a thing here. As, as you guys have known in our church, we have uh, multiple leaders in our church, and, and I try to surround myself with people that are good in areas that I'm not good at. I insulate, my pastors to say it this way, I insulate my weaknesses with a team of people. I know my weaknesses. If you guys would like to know them, see me afterwards. I have a list of things that I am not good at. And I bring people alongside who are better than that than I am. And so he sent them out as teams. That was the strategy. But then he said he packed them lightly. He packed them lightly. He instructed them not to be too attached to things. For these things would weigh them down over time. Jesus knew that the more they possessed, then the more difficulty could come. To put it in late 90s, early 2000s, more money, more problems, okay? That, that was what Jesus was saying here. That's what, if you read in the original languages, that's literally what it, it doesn't, it doesn't literally say that. But, uh, but he wanted them to pack as lightly as possible. How many of you have ridden on an airplane, one of those uh, budget airlines, where they say you cannot, you know, if you have to, you, you can get your plane ticket for $49. But if you bring a carry-on, it's $120 for your carry-on, you know, or whatever. So you're like, okay, I'm not, or, or your, your check bag, you're like, I'm not checking a bag. And then they're like, oh, well, you can't really bring like a normal size carry-on either. You have to bring like a smaller carry-on. How many of you have ever been on one of those flights and you tried to fit every, I knew Aaron and Julia, okay. Uh, anybody else, you're like, I'm going to fit everything in the world I can in this tiny bag. I'm going to pack lightly, you know. I'm not good at that. I, you, know, you can roll your, your stuff up and get it real nice and tight. You can fit more things in there, I've heard. Um, but I can tell you this. It probably does help when you land. You just got to throw in your, back, your book bag. Or you just got to roll your bag. You don't have to go and stand and wait for your check baggage. You don't have two or three different things. You can go grab a coffee when you get off the plane. Because you only have one hand using. You got a second one for, for some overpriced coffee in the airport. You know, at the end of the day... Packing lightly. Packing lightly. There's something about that. I'm not good at it. She's not in here this morning, but no one in my family is good at packing lightly. We went away for, for, two, for two days, and uh, you'd have thought we were gone to Disney for a week by the way that our, our vehicle was packed. We were prepared, but we didn't pack lightly. Well, this morning, to bring that and circle that back spiritually, sometimes I believe we can struggle giving our life to the mission of Jesus because we have so much stuff in our lives. We're carrying so much other stuff. 
we feel like we have to have it. May I say this morning, this world is not our home. Pack lightly. This world is not our home. One day we'll shout the hymn of heaven. Pack lightly. Get rid of the clutter in your life that could prevent you from serving Jesus with all your heart. And may I say this, clutter in your life may not be bad things. In fact, it's typically not. But clutter that ties you down, whatever extracurricular activities that you have going on that tie you down and could prevent you from being effective uh, on mission for Jesus, maybe this morning we should consider packing lightly. I'm not even going to give illustrations that I have in my notes this morning because I don't want anyone to think that I'm, that, that I'm, I'm trying to be uh, specific or being a jerk here this morning. I am simply saying this morning that if we're going to be effective on mission for Jesus, the lighter we have things in our life, the easier we have to let them go, the better we will serve Jesus. The better we will serve Jesus. Remember, they're disguised as not bad things. But good things. The strategy this morning from Jesus was simply this. I'm not going to send you by yourself, two by two, and then I want you to pack lightly. Don't even take a second coat. Don't even take two tunics. Just pack lightly as you go on this mission. I want us to see secondly this morning. First, we saw the strategy. Now, secondly, I want us to see this. The encouragement for the mission. The encouragement for the mission in verses 10 and 11, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. So you come into a city, go to one house, don't bounce around, stay in that house. Whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Man, this is some rough language. This is some intense language that Jesus gives them here. But this mission was not going to take him by surprise at all. But he knew that it could take the disciples by surprise. He knew that their message would more than likely be heard by a small few, uh, but be rejected by the great majority. I believe that Jesus knew that, that, that broad is the gate to destruction and narrow is the gate to salvation and to life everlasting. I think Jesus knew just as it is today. So Jesus encourages them to find receptive houses, to simply stay there, to communicate the message of Jesus, and if, they don't, if people don't receive the message, hey, dust your feet off and move on. Dust your feet off and move on. Oh, and by the way, when you dust your feet off, you're basically letting people know that this was an unbelieving place. And it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that city. Pretty intense language from Jesus. But he instructed them to simply dust their feet off it Reminds me of last Sunday. He came into his own, and his own did not receive them. So what did Jesus do when the people and the citizens of Nazareth rejected him? What did he do? He moved on. He moved on. He was not there to twist anyone's arm. He was not there to do a dog and pony trick show to show them all of his miracles he could perform, and possibly they would believe. No, Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm going to come, and I'm going to present the truth here in Nazareth, and we're going to stand in the synagogue, and I'm going to speak the truth. 
And they rejected me. And so, hey, he healed a few sick folks and he moved on. And so Jesus is saying, hey, just like we did it in Nazareth, listen, you're going to go to a city and I want to encourage you. Listen, some people are going to accept me. Other people are going to reject me. I'm not asking you to fight my battles for me. I'm not asking you to stand up and, 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 and proclaim anything. I'm just saying, hey, listen, if they don't believe, listen, wipe your feet off and move on. That's comforting to me. That's encouraging to me to know that Jesus asked me simply to share his mission, to share his truth, to share his gospel. And listen, if people don't accept when we speak to them about Christ, hey, it's no skin off our back. Okay, God, I'll, I'll move on. I'll speak to someone else. The next person that comes in my life that I can have a conversation with about the mission that you sent me on, proclaiming Jesus and proclaiming the truth, I'll, I'll find someone else and I'll just share that with them. Encouragement, because Jesus knew it was going to be difficult. And he said, listen, if they don't listen, move on. Move on. But I want us to see importantly, very importantly, thirdly this morning, I want us to see the message of the mission. The message of the mission. We're staying in our text. By the way, that's what we do around here. Mark chapter 6 and verse 12. So they went out and preached that people should repent. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and they anointed many who were sick. I'm sorry, anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This message that he sends them to preach was the message that Jesus committed to preaching from the very beginning in the first chapter of the book of Mark. In one of our first weeks in this series, Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus commanded his disciples and his followers on this mission to preach repentance. And we don't often hear the gospel being led out by repentance. You know why? Because we want the gospel to be good news. And may I say this morning, before the gospel can become good news, you must acknowledge and accept the bad news. Right? In order for there to be good news, you have to understand that there's bad news. And repentance is kind of the bad news side of the gospel. It's kind of the, I have to admit and come to grips with the fact that, and these are words we don't like saying, I am wrong. We hate saying that. If you don't hate saying it, just get married. And then you'll hate saying it. Okay? I was wrong. Or even, oh, no, wait. I was wrong might be easy because you could be referring to something that happened a few weeks ago. Let me, let me make it even better. I am wrong. Woo! It just hurts me to say it this morning. Listen, Jesus commanded his disciples to go and to preach repentance. Jesus, ironically, did not lead out in his, in his message with his love and his grace. Even though his love and his grace rescues us in that message. And his love and his grace sustain us for the rest of our lives. But he said, listen, you preach, repent. 
Repentance is a necessary element in the gospel. And may I say it this way this morning. A true gospel cannot be divorced from a true repentance. Listen, you cannot say yes to Jesus until you are willing to admit and turn from the fact that you are wrong. It is what separates Christianity from many polytheistic religions. I think of Hinduism as, as the main one. It's the only thing. Listen, the Hindu religion would be completely fine with you saying yes to Jesus. As long as you say yes to all the other millions of gods that make up that religion. Listen, what separates believing in Jesus and true biblical Christianity from all the others is the repentance side. That I am rejecting all others. I am turning from all others. And I am turning to Jesus. But listen, this morning, Jesus sent these guys out and their message was repentance. They came preaching, repent and believe. And then Jesus even gave them power to cast out demons and to anoint people with oil that were sick and to heal them. Also, they could say, repent and believe the gospel. And may I say this morning, if we're not careful, and man, I'm so glad that this sermon landed on the day that it landed. It's odd how God does this so often. But if we aren't careful, there are a bunch of other things that we can get busy with as a church. We, we, can, we can get so enamored with other stuff. And remember the baggage at the beginning of the sermon today? We can get so enamored with all these other things that we've packed into our lives that sometimes we can forget the true message that we should be presenting and giving as a church family, and that is repent and believe the gospel. The message that we preach is clear. Repent and believe on the name of the Son of God. No ifs, no ands, no buts. It is all about Jesus. And this morning, may we not lose the message of our mission. Listen, we're going to do a lot of great things. In fact, I had a guy reach out to me today and said, hey, listen, there's some people in the neighborhood who need some yard work done, some older folks in the neighborhood. Do you think your church may have some people that will be interested in helping with yard work? And I'm responding to him in the morning with, we absolutely would. And so y'all will be receiving an email or something if anybody would be able to be willing to help. Listen, I want us to do all those things. Listen, if the, if the community's having something downtown and they're like, hey, we need some, some help from some churches, man, let's go, let's do it. Let's do everything we can to help people. But our mission our number one overarching mission is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of those things that we do are just avenues to create relationships, to show his love, to show his mercy, and to show his grace. At the end of the day, everything that we do should point to him and to him alone this morning. To him and to him alone. May the good things that we do as a church never get in the way of the greatest thing that we could do as a church, and that is to introduce someone to Jesus. That's the greatest thing that we could do as a church. May all of our activities never outshine the almighty Savior. May our calendars never clutter the focus of the King of Kings, and may our message this morning simply be, it is all about Jesus. So disciples, I have a strategy two by two, don't pack too much. I want to encourage you. Some people are going to hear, some people aren't. Just move on if they don't. Dust your feet off. Move on. Hey, disciples, listen, 12, you've heard it, but here's the message. Don't dilute the message. It's Jesus. 
Preach Jesus. Preach repentance. Preach the gospel. But there must be power, fourthly, for the mission. There must be power for the mission. Verse 7. And he called the twelve to himself. And he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over the unclean spirits. What would the power be for this mission this morning as we are sent out and our call to action? What would be the power this morning for the mission? Would it be their flesh? Would they need to pull themselves up a little more? Would they need to try a little bit harder? Would they need to work a little bit harder? No, we see in this text that Jesus gave them power. That they would go in his power. That they would go with his authority. That Jesus gave them all the power. It's just like the Great Commission. You know, you've heard of the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. The Great Commission, where he, where he tells us to go and to make disciples of all the nations, right? Do you know how the Great Commission begins and how the Great Commission ends? May I remind you, it begins with, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus says, I'm about to give you the greatest mission ever. That is to go tell people about Jesus. But I'm going to remind you first, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he, he closes it with, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, both here in Mark chapter 6, as well, in Matthew, as well as in Matthew chapter 28, and other places throughout the Gospels, we find that Jesus sends us on mission, but he does not send us on mission without his presence, without his power, without his authority this morning. Jesus promises his presence and his power to those who are actively proclaiming the gospel message. Jesus promises his presence and his power to those who are actively proclaiming the gospel message. We don't have to do this mission alone. And I don't know about you, but I find myself like Moses was in Exodus chapter 33. I find myself praying the prayer, if your presence does not go with us, then do not bring us up from here. Hey, God, if you're going to send me to, to, to reach people with the good news of the gospel, I'm not going unless your presence is leading. I'm not going unless you're guiding. I just read today in my, in my personal Bible reading how Paul was going to go to a place and he decided not to go there. And there was a door open to Paul. And he decided not to go. You know why? Because he was waiting for the guidance of the Spirit. I don't want to be a bull in a china shop. I don't want to be uh, unwise today. I want his presence and his power in my life so that I can complete his mission for him. Jesus, since this is your mission, I need you. I need you. And then a little differently this morning, I want to end with the, the potential results of obeying the mission. We're done with our text However, beginning in verse 14 and going down through the end of verse 29, Mark makes note of the, the death of John the Baptist. He documents the beheading of John the Baptist. And this was a reality that the 12 disciples had to really grasp. 
that John the Baptist spent his life proclaiming the good news. John chapter 1, we see it very blatantly. And it wound up with his head being literally served on a platter. There are those this morning who risked their lives this weekend to stand up, many of them in their house, and preach Jesus, doing what I'm doing. In fact, they probably didn't talk as loud as I did today. You know, we get frustrated, like, sometimes when, you know, well, the music's too loud, you know. I don't really listen to those complaints, but it's all good. Um, But sometimes people do, and I want to be like, you know, there are people that are secretly meeting who wish they could crank it up. There are those who, within the last 12 to 24 hours, have legitimately risked their lives to preach this message. And while Jesus does not continue his conversation into these verses, the text of Mark does, and we're not going to spend an entire sermon on the beheading of John, so you can come back next week. It's all good. We're not going to talk about that. But I found a sequence of Mark's writing intriguing. Hey, disciples, you're going to go out. You're going to preach. Some are going to listen. Some are not. And oh, by the way, this could end kind of badly, humanly speaking. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But this could end differently than what you think. I'm convinced this morning that while, while my generation may not have to worship in fear of persecution, I, I'm fairly certain that either the generation that follows mine or the one that follows that one in this country will suffer persecution. And we better be able to realistically stand up for our faith, present the gospel boldly and wisely. Jesus was saying to his disciples, shake off your, your, the dust off your shoes. I've got you. And But Mark reminds us, hey, a Jesus worth living for should be a Jesus worth dying for. We don't like to hear that. I made it a little confusing for you. I I think that makes sense. A dying Jesus worth living for is a living Jesus worth dying for. He lives. We trust in him's death on the cross for our life. And now he lives, and it should be whatever you need from me. I'm trying to go morbid on you this morning. I'm just trying to get us to think. In conclusion, and we're done. Y'all know we got stuff to do today. We've been given a mission, a call to action. Hey, listen, it's time for some of us to get our butts out of the seat and go to sending and and releasing and presenting the gospel. It's time for some of us to uh, to stop sitting and start serving. I could do all that. I think it's all true. 
I think it's all true. I could pep talk you, and then I could be like, sign up to serve right back there. I'm not doing that this morning. Here's my prayer simply in conclusion. First of all, may we be bold as we understand who is with us. May we be bold, disciples. Twelve, teams of, six teams of two, may we be bold because we understand who's with us. Hey, listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? Secondly, this morning, may we be wise as we do understand who is against us. Listen, I'm a firm believer that our boldness needs to be balanced with our wisdom. I'm not here this morning uh, trying to convince someone of something that's just ridiculously unwise. I believe that as we are bold to understand who is with us, we should be wise to understand who is against us. Listen, those who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. We ought to know that. We ought to be wise, and we ought to, we ought to grasp that this morning. But may we thirdly be prepared as we understand who we are reaching. May we be prepared. Man, God, would you prepare my heart? That person at work that's starting to ask you questions about your faith. God, would you prepare me as I am willing to share Jesus with them? God, would you prepare the way before me? Would you prepare my mind? Would you prepare my heart? God, would you just prepare me? As I speak to people about the gospel... There are many different avenues that, that I take in their life, and oftentimes it's specific to them. There are many different avenues that I take to get to talking about Jesus. Man, I can take it from anywhere. Y'all want to talk about football? I'll talk about football, and somehow I'm going to figure out a way to talk about the gospel with you as well. Uh, may we be prepared. And then lastly, may we still be willing. I didn't put that word in there. May we be willing as we understand the potential pushback. I used to hear preachers say when I was growing up, you know, you can pray in government buildings now, and you can pray, and you can thank God, and you can talk about God, but you can't mention the name of Jesus. And that's certainly that's happened. <clears throat> Jesus is a little more uh, polarizing. Right, But I believe in this world, in our country, it's not a political statement. This is just a reality statement. I believe if we're not careful, we're going to look up in 20 years, 30 years. And I think if I'm going to get up and preach the Bible, I'm going to have to do so with an understanding that, hey, listen, I'm, I'm breaking some codes by preaching the book. I'm willing to do that. <clears throat> when I was a teenager, we went, we went to China. Um, Hamilton's, by the way, served 12 and a half years in China. They'll understand a little bit of this. There was a pastor in China. His name was Samuel Lamb. I went there in the 90s. I forget the exact year. But we went into China for one day. We rode a train in. And we got a hot about the train. A bunch of Americans. 
We actually had Bibles in our bags to like smuggle. So as a teenager, I like smuggled some Bibles into China. That was fun. One of our group got, got detained and they went through his stuff and they let him, they let him go. It's pretty wild. That was a little bit ner- nerve wracking. But I'll never forget, this was the last year of Hong Kong's uh, rule under um, England before it went back under Chinese rule. So whatever year that was. But I remember that we were going to visit this man named Samuel Lamb. I did not know who he was. I had heard them talk about him, that he was a pastor and he had spent some time in prison. And um, we're darting through the streets, man. We're going through these little markets, like doing all this stuff. I felt like I was in like a TV show. And um, we turn a corner and there's two doors right here. And we turn that corner and we go to turn the corner to go up one of the doors and the, 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 one of the two doors opens and a police officer walks out. So, of course, as a bold Christian, I nearly died. Uh, but uh, I was like, and we all kind of stopped. Police came, did his thing, walked away, walked away, and we went in the other door. Thank goodness. We went in the other door. And I walked up into a flat, an apartment, maybe a townhome if you want to look at it that way, maybe in, in the States. And there was this man, he couldn't have been five feet tall, skinny. He was in his 80s, maybe even older. And I don't know if you've ever walked in somewhere and you're like, I'm in, I'm in the presence of something unique. And I'm a kid. I'm a teenager. Keep in mind, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus at the time. I'm playing a game. But I'm like, man, something is different. And this guy sits down and shares his story of how 25 years prior, he was preaching. He would cram 400 people into his house at one time. 400. Into his apartment or his house, whatever you want to call it. And one day he was preaching. They showed up at the end of the service. They took him, detained him. He spent 20 years in hard labor prison camp. 20 years for preaching the gospel. And as I looked at that man, I thought, man, what did this man do for 20 years? He was a, a tiny man. What, what did they do? And I, I, was, I didn't say, I, I was with a lot of other people it was not my place for once Josh realized it wasn't his place to talk and uh, I just sat there and watched him and here's what made the most impression we're talking about the potential pushback that's where I'm closing here's what made the most impact to me first of all this man is smiling telling a story he's serving us food which also spoke to me um but he's smiling and he's joyful. And then he goes, he picks up this duffel bag. And he's like, he's a little old man. He's like in his late 80s. He's like, you know what this is? And people are like, no, what is it? He said, oh, in case it happens again, I'm ready. In case it happens again, I'm ready. 
And what I didn't know, and I found out later that day, was that room that fit 400 people in his house, that house turned into four services every weekend of 400 people every time. And it was so big that he just knew that it was going to happen again. And he's like, last time I didn't have my toothbrush, I didn't have my stuff, and if it happens again, I'm going to have my stuff. And I sat there as a teenager, not understanding the world, not understanding the climate. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget walking away from that man thinking like, that's it. That's it. I don't know, but that's it. This morning we have a call to action, and guess what? Not a single one of us in here has ever been in 20 years of hard labor prison camp. You know what Jesus just says? Hey, listen, go out. When you get an opportunity, talk about the mission. Just share, when you get an opportunity, just share Jesus. Just talk about me. If you'll lift me up, what does Jesus say? If you lift me up, I will, I will draw all men to myself. Just talk about me. Let me do the other work. God the Father will draw, the Holy Spirit will draw. You just talk about me. Hey, listen, if they don't listen, move on. It's okay. I'm not asking you to go to 20 years of hard labor camp in communist China. Just talk about Jesus. And this morning, I'm just simply saying, let's just talk about Jesus with those who need him most. Let's just open up the conversations. Don't be unwise. Don't break the rules of your establishment maybe that you work at. Be respectful. But man, let's be bold. Let's be bold and wise. I'm afraid sometimes we're so wise that we can't be bold. Let's be bold and wise. Listen, we have a mission. It's Jesus. It's calling people to repent and believe in him. And yeah, you know what? There's potential. There's always potential out there. We must understand it. But I serve a Savior who's worth it. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.